Good evening, listeners, and welcome to episode four of season one of the Porchman Dialogues. You're here with me, Andrew Hover. And, as always, the right-hand man, Mr. Geoffrey Melvin. Hey, man. How you been? Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Uh, got back from vacation, went up to Colorado last weekend, and it was really nice and overdue. It's beautiful yeah. out there. It's, uh, yeah, it is a beautiful, beautiful place out there. As you know, one of my favorite places to get out to, and it's uh, always nice to get away, especially to be able to get outside and, you know, with these uh, crazy times that we're in and all that, so. It was, like I said, it was very overdue. I grew up going camping with my family, the Boundary Waters at the border of Canada and Minnesota and Wyoming and Colorado, and it's been five years since I'd been out. Nice. really into the mountains and it was good uh went with my girlfriend we went hiking we went to rocky mountain national park and went to the grand lake side which is way less occupied hiked the continental divide it was really nice like you mentioned just with the current set of circumstances nowadays to be able to get into natural space is you know all the more necessary i think yeah, I mean, it's it's nice because you can be outside of your house and do something enjoyable and uh, not have a fear of getting a possible virus that can... Correct, yeah. I mean, yeah. there really aren't too many people in the park. We had to make a reservation mm-hmm. beforehand. They just want to be able to keep track of how many cars to expect in a given two-hour time frame. And so we made it up there. It was a really smooth, easy drive from where we were staying. And it is just so cool to be able to drive their own highways. And then you wind up at a trailhead, you're following the map, you warm up on the easier stuff, and then you're getting into the heart of the park where you can really get onto the mountains. And yeah, yeah it's the elevation feels different, the altitude, it, it's cool. It's, it's, it's just thrilling to get out of the plains a little bit and actually see, you know, some stone steps on a mountain to kind of get a little bit of a variety of, of looks out there. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I was uh, out there in June, spent a couple of days in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, for anyone listening that hasn't been there, if you get a chance, definitely do it. Um, I mean, the whole state of Colorado is beautiful, but that national park in particular is... Uh, is it's, it's a, a treasure. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's such a great place. And it's sizable enough where you can do a lot of different things and not even come close to you know touching a corner of the park so exactly yeah majority of the highways just run along the border but you know you can really get into the heart of it if you're feeling brave yeah and yeah i'd like to go back again just because they make it so accessible and it's not expensive to visit the national park funny enough too i was just talking to my parents about your guys's trip out there and that's where uh they spent their honeymoon camping out in rocky mountain national park no kidding. so yeah 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 i can't imagine thinking about them in their 20s their young 20s yeah doing that but uh what a way to spend a honeymoon you know what i mean so that's uh that's old school yeah yeah definitely <laughs> definitely but uh should we get into the fun stuff yeah let's do that let's uh let's kind of get caught up on the state of affairs and the world of soccer in the last few weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a couple weeks since we sat down and talked and recorded and uh, there's a lot there's a lot that's uh, there's a lot that happened <laughs> just this last week let alone the last three, three and a half, four weeks so I'll let you start it off man, what do you want to start with? 
Uh, I mean, we can start domestically. We can at least be fair and acknowledge the fact that, <laughs> no, not to say that dismissively, you know, we, we do have a domestic league. MLS, it's something that I have really been making an active effort to watch more of because I acknowledge the fact that I have a bias toward the Premier League and European soccer. It's something that I am trying to overcome. I'm trying to take MLS for what it is because it is absolutely its own style and it's something that it embraces, but at the same time you can see they're also trying to move on from through more modern transfer policies, designated players and whatnot. And so, yeah, they had their MLS's back cup mm-hmm. and the uh, Portland Timbers were, were crowned the the winners and they played uh orlando in yeah. the final to yeah that. um so a little disappointing for me for those of you that uh, don't know obviously andrew and i are doing the show from omaha nebraska uh we both grew up here but i spent uh 16 almost 17 years living down in orlando and uh was an orlando city uh season ticket holder through three or four seasons in the uh nasl their first year in the MLS as well, and then ended up relocating back here. So, um, obviously, when it comes to a team that I root for in MLS, it's Orlando. And uh, for any of you that follow the league, you know that Orlando really hasn't done much since they've been in the league. So, I was really hoping they could just kind of hop over that hurdle. I get that it was kind of an exhibition tournament and all that, but with the tournament being held in Orlando, and they were playing very, very well, and obviously Portland's a, a, a solid squad, and... Uh, Nanny just couldn't make it happen uh, that last game. He was carrying them for the previous two or three matches and had some great goals. But, uh, you know, I think kind of what you touched on is, is one of those things. It, it took me a long time to get into the league because uh, I wasn't taking it at face value, you know. And that's what you have to do. It's so easy to say, well, I compare it to England or I compare it to watching Italian soccer or German soccer. And it's not the same. And, and the levels are this. And, it, yeah, th- that's all true. But you need to understand what the league is and where it's at right now. And we got to accept that. And um, it's not bad soccer to watch, just not as good. That's it. Correct. It's, it's limited in terms of the structure of development that feeds into it being completely different than how Europe is set up with their academy-based system where for a very relatively low fee, your kid can, through merit, play his or her way through an academy and they go up the ranks and again it's more of a club-based philosophy that trickles down through these levels and these kids wind up growing within a little bit more of a cohesive mentality of soccer from a young age knowing that the end result is the potential of professional soccer whether it be with the club that raised them in their academy or another one when they're sent out on on a transfer, they are cultivated just within a very fertile environment for, like I said, merit-based movement upward in levels, you know, whether it's U18s, U21, U23s, all of that. You can be whatever age and just through however good your talent is, you will be at the level that matches that. Yeah, and I I just... I don't know if a lot of people get and understand the fact that, you know, I'll use a player from my favorite squad, Manchester United. A player like Jesse Lingard has been with that club since he was seven years old. Correct. Seven, you know? It's essentially 
another school for them yep. throughout their lives. Yeah, and most of the time they're relocated there. They go to school. They do the whole thing. They're not even living with their parents. They're living with host families or in a dorm or something like that. And I just – when people say I don't understand why U.S. soccer hasn't made up as much ground as was perceived that it should have, it's, it's stuff like this, right? And whether – that's right or wrong is beside the point. It is what it is right now, and that's why you have more competitive soccer in Europe. It's just the way it is, right? Exactly. It's just the way it is. So. And another thing that limits the MLS is that a big part of American soccer is based off of college soccer, and that is fed into by pay-to-play select soccer as well. Mm-hmm. And so you have these filters of A, money to begin with when you're younger and then b if you get to college and play for a program you're very much subject to whatever style of system that that coach has implemented and that coach sometimes can just have really not much of a grasp on tactics or anything like that because there isn't as much of an incentive to really win a league aside from the college athletics mindset in a way. And so at a very crucial physical junction point in these players' lives when they're going from graduation of high school age to graduation of college, they could be very much limited by just a random style of tactics that the university that they got a scholarship to happens to be playing. So there isn't as much of that real-time movement of managers within clubs and then just player movement to where they may wind up fitting in better. They're kind of locked into a four-year cycle. Yeah, for sure. I think kind of the last point in all of this is the big elephant in the room that people argue about, and uh, I think you and I are on the, uh, the same page when it comes to this, is we have the best players in the United States leaving and not playing in the MLS. And if you're a United States national team fan, that's what you want because you want these guys playing in Europe where they play in much higher levels of competition. They develop much more quickly. We've seen the likes of Chris and Pulisic emerge this past year. Tyler Adams scoring in Champions League semifinal. We just saw Weston McKinney go to Juve on a loan. Obviously, he's getting a chance, and it's stuff like this is what's going to bring soccer forward in America. And it, it hurts a league like the MLS, but in the grand scheme of things, hopefully it's going to make everything better in the long run. Absolutely, and that's just kind of the extended growth cycle that I'm sure these other leagues overseas went through when they were just implementing the sport in their own countries where it wasn't refined, it wasn't polished, it might have been clumsy, and so... It's just a matter of literally generations of talent moving their way through and holding each other accountable to higher and higher levels of interpersonal competition so that there is just that overall movement of the league toward a higher level of play. And so that just simply takes time. And again, the best talents going out, finding their own paths at the potentially better clubs in Europe and then bringing that back to the national team to grow the national perception of the sport to a degree where the organic structure of it ideally follows and builds that kind of groundswell of more talent, 
ideally being focused and concentrated in the right ways as they grow. And then again, that's a generation there that leads to a better level of talent for our country's soccer. And so it is what it is. We, we say that, but again, I'm going to watch more matches this season than I did last season. And that's what I can say out of all fairness. At the end of the day, like we're soccer fans, right? Yeah, we're, I mean, we watch a lot of soccer, no matter what. That's this is just another another part of it, right? And maybe it's not the same level as watching PSG and Bayern Munich play in the Champions League final, but that's okay. We'll get there one day, and that's it. The level of youth talent that you see in the United States or emerging from the United States right now is a telltale sign that things are getting better. Absolutely, right? Yeah. So yeah, but I will admit it's exciting to see it in real life going through that progression and then I'll be able to look back on this and just kind of with a little bit more interest. So yeah, you were you were mentioning though the Champions League and I think that a lot of our listeners were amazed at a lot of the score lines that were popping up from the quarters through the finals. So I, th- I think I may know one match in particular that you're possibly talking about in the quarters. I would uh, hate to uh, think about <laughs> uh, such uh, such a bad scoreline as that. Ooh. What was that scoreline? Was it? Oh, eight two. It was eight to two. It was eight to two. Bayern battered Barcelona. Just kind of barreled on through that match. Um, easily one of the most, if not the most, impressive performance I think I've ever seen in a Champions League match. The only thing I think about comparable was it was uh, Brazil... Germany. Germany. In the 2014 World Cup. There you go. And it was the semi, I believe. 7-2 is what that Seven ended one. up. 7-1. 7-1 is what that ended yeah, up. Yeah, it was a consolation goal at the very end of like the 86th minute or something like that for Brazil. I just, uh, I guess before we move on to Barcelona, what's going on with that club right now? Bayern Munich, just absolutely. I, I struggle for words. I have impressive. never seen such a juggernaut display of one club through a Champions League campaign as what I saw Bayern do this season. And my club was victim of mm-hmm. them as well. I mean, they beat us 7-2 yeah. at our home ground. Shortly after that, Pochettino was gone. And so yeah. they definitely had an effect on our season. Then just to see that it wasn't a fluke performance and that they had that potential all along against the best competition in Europe yeah. all throughout. Chelsea, Barcelona, and then the final was its own thing. But the stats speak for themselves. They were 40-8 and eight in yeah. terms of goals for versus goals against throughout the entire competition through the final. That is incredible. I think the most impressive thing to me, and I know you saw, is follow enough stuff on social media and we look at a lot of soccer stuff where people start adding up what their starting 11 costs in comparison. And it's like, even we'll take that Barca match, Antoine Griezmann costs more than Bayern Munich's entire starting 11. That's surreal to think about. He's not even the most expensive player on the field if Dembele's out there if Coutinho's out there obviously when he was with Barca to be able to recruit and buy players at the right time and then put together a squad like they put together they are second to none right now in Europe when it comes to terms of scouting and you look at someone like Serge Gnabry who they bought from Arsenal for five mil five five mil and the fact that at one point in time he was playing at West Brom. Yeah. 
Yeah, loaned out. Like, you're not good enough for Arsenal. And in hindsight, you wonder why a club would want to give up on a talent that easily. I mean, when a lot of that could have been easily attributed to the fact that he was a young player in a new league and didn't speak the language. Like, he is a German national, and he grew up, I think, in Stuttgart's academy? I forget. I'd have to... I'd really have to look that up. It's one of the most incredible things to think about the disparity in just overall transfer fees between those two clubs. Bayern had to go through a bit of a reinvention in these last what, five, six years or so because they were on the down and out after Pep left. They went through, I'm trying to think of their previous managers, they had Hansi Flick, who led them through this campaign. Before that was Kovac, who took over after Jupp Heynckes left. Mm -hmm. They've kind of had a carousel in the last few years of guys, because... Like, let me read to you the starting 11 in their prices. Lewandowski, free, from Dortmund. Thomas Muller, free, came through the academy. Perisic, 4.5 mil. Goretzka, free. Tiago, 22.5. Gnabry, 7.2 euro, 5 mil when we're talking dollars. Alfonso Davies, 9 mil euro. Alaba, 135k is what he cost and came out of their academy. Boateng, 12.2 million euros. Joshua Kimmich, 7.7 million euros. Manuel Neuer, 27 million euros. Starting 11 costs 90.1 million euros. That's like a mid-level Premier League side in terms of transfer fees. It's insane. It's insane when you think about the numbers that get thrown around in soccer today, and especially beating a club like Barcelona and then PSG, who has a player they spent 220-plus mil on. It's insane to think about, and I, I, I just pulled this up too. Round of 16 against Chelsea, aggregate 7-1. Then 8-2 against Barcelona. Then 3-0, yeah, 3-0 against Lyon, and then 1-0 against PSG. Mafana. There's not a better team on the planet right now. And, and it's funny that they're doing it without Pep. Yeah. yeah. And with not even anyone special, right? They just found a guy that understood, hey, I have great players, and I just need to let these dudes play. And I was thinking about this today, and also just in the week leading up to this, about how we are... I think we are seeing a bit of a pendulum swing toward less, quote, tactical-minded coaches and more guys that know how to work a locker room and work, know how to work a dressing room, guys who know how to balance egos, guys who are emotionally and athletically intelligent of how these guys tick on a human level and on a camaraderie level in a way. I think you're exactly right. And I think a great example that hits home for me is Ole right now with United. He is not a better tactical coach than Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. He is not a better tactical coach than Louis Van Hall. But he's put up better numbers and better results than both of them because he manages the personalities of that squad better. He knows the talent that's there. And instead of trying to corral them into spots on the field or doing this, just go out and play football, score goals, and we'll probably win. And as much as we finished our season kind of on a dud with losing in the semifinals of Europa, I mean, we lost two matches out of our last 27 played. That's pretty solid. That's a pretty solid finish to a season. 
for a guy who was coaching in Norway before Manchester United. Yeah, we're, we're seeing managers who have played before and have a bit of that real-life experience that they can tap into and then invert that into how they feel they would have benefited in the same situation and giving that advice through a managerial presence then. And I think that the ultimate version that we've seen recently is Zidane at Madrid. Mm -hmm. Three Champions Leagues in a row. And the first one was when he took over Mm mid-season. And you're seeing more legends take over. I think that Andrea Pirlo at Juventus is... He's never managed before ever. Ever. They just hired him on as the U21 manager, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then just within a week or so from that news, I believe within a week, they just automatically promoted him to first team coach. And I think that it will be more of a mindset approach in his managerial style rather than the more tactical scholars of the game that we see on the other side of the coin. You know, Nagelsmann is one of the younger guys that is keeping the torch alive for tactical coaches because he played a few years in the Bundesliga, or mm-hmm. maybe it's Zweite Bundesliga, I forget. But it was under Thomas Tuchel that he kind of got his start because Tuchel said, well, if you want to study under me, then... I'll at least let you have a spot in my coaching staff. And it's just so funny how fragile these threads of fate can be in this sport. So um, It's it's funny because when you brought that up, it made me want to look him up. So he played for one season for 1860 Munich and one season for FC Augsburg and didn't have an appearance for either one. That, see, <laughs> and that, so it just goes to show. That's how you know uh, when you need to go into coaching. But... Jose Mourinho was very similar, right? He played for these smaller clubs in Portugal, and then he just figured out that, like, hey, this I'm never going to make it as a professional footballer. I need to coach. And I still have a passion for this, but mm-hmm. I just should divert it into how I can have others play it because I am calm and real with myself and knowing that I'm not going to be a professional at this level. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, yeah. you either can play and you do play, or you don't. That's how it's always been, even with guys that have full confidence in themselves that they're going to make it. So it's such a crazy either-or, though, for who knows how many managers. Yep, and kind of on that subject of, you know, bringing in a club legend to come in and coach, let's talk about this situation at Barcelona right now. Um, Before we even touch on the messy stuff, I think we need to touch on that 8-2 game and... I remember sitting there watching it with my dad saying, you know, this is an end of an era of a long run, but you also had a team where their average age of that starting 11 and that 8-2 loss was 30, 30 years old. And you cannot stay competitive at the highest levels of Europe and have your starting 11's age, average age, be 30. Obviously, there's been tons of fallout since then. I guess we'll start with the the management side of bringing you know their legendary defender Ronald Koeman back in to the fold. Um, we've talked a little bit about it off air, so I know you know a little bit about how I feel already. I'll just I guess I'll poach or not poach. 
I'll uh, approach you and ask, um, do you think it was the right move? I think it was the best available move and kind of like a path of least resistance type of move in a way. Because I think that as a club, they are in crisis mode right now and they are flailing a little bit because with the transfer fees that they've been shelling out in the last few years, it's almost like they've been trying to employ a Galactico model. That's exactly what they've been trying to do. Madrid did successfully because they realized that when you have these egos, you need a special guy to be able to manage them and corral them because they're such wild spirits. And so aside from that, they don't have anything to show for all these massive transfers that they've brought in. We've talked about Griezmann, we've talked about Usman Dembele, we've talked about Coutinho. Coutinho scored two goals against them on loan. How embarrassing is that? How embarrassing. You spend 125 mil on a player to then be loaned out to a club that beats you, embarrasses you in the Champions League 8-2, and he scores twice. And I feel as though because they are in crisis mode and they've brought in these supposedly great managers, it's been a bit of a cursed role the last few years. They have had Kike Setien is gone. And before that was Valverde. Mm-hmm. And before that... There was... Luis Enrique was in there, Luis too. Luis Enrique. Correct. I was, I was going to... Yeah, in here, I, I just pulled it up. Because pretty much since Pep left, which was, I want to say, 12-13, it's been like a revolving door. No one's stayed for long. Yeah, so you, And we talked about that in another podcast, how... Even some of the best managers don't stay at a club for much longer than three seasons because it's difficult to keep that energy in at that balanced state. Yeah. Um, and so, go, go ahead. essentially, they, I think they're noticing that they haven't been able to keep any sort of a balance in the squad. And so they might as well go the route that other big clubs have gone with in the last few years of, all right, all these different guys that have these different quote-unquote systems or philosophies that they employ, they haven't been working. We've won some leagues, but no European Cups in, what is that, the last four years? Yeah, um, yeah, 2017, I want to say, is the last time. The last time they won the Champions League was in 2015. 15, yeah, yeah, because Enrique was their coach. I remember he won it one time there. So, I think that... With that in mind, they figured that Zidane's at Madrid, Pirlo's at Juventus, and then, you know, you have Gattuso at Milan for a while, he's at Napoli now. You're mm-hmm. seeing that these guys that have the plugged-in viewpoint of what it was like as a player are having success in these bigger clubs. And so, Kerman, he's had, let's just say, lukewarm results at most every club that he's managed. Well, that's what I was just going back to that text that I sent you that day because I wanted to find, because I remember I quoted you some numbers. So winning, winning percentage at Everton, 41%. Ajax is the only club that he's been out out of the nine that he's coached that he was there longer than two seasons. I don't know. I, he's a good coach. I'm not saying he's a bad coach, right? Like you don't get to coach the clubs that he's coached or – the Dutch national team if you're if you're not a decent coach but 
I think about the personalities on that team, and especially the biggest one, and that's the, the big question mark right now. And I know I know Pochettino is out there, and I get the Espanol thing and all of that, but you offer that dude a solid salary to come coach that club, and I don't know how he turns it down. He had also come out in previous weeks saying that he really couldn't hold himself to the promise he once made of never managing Barca because he had both played for and managed Espanyol. However, I think that, as with any manager who at one point speaks out ideals, they realize that the real world sometimes operates in a much different fashion. Well, and maybe you'll agree agree with me on this, maybe you won't, but to me it seems like it would be much easier for Pochettino why he's coaching a Spurs and have a reporter ask him if he would go to Barca to say, no, 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 I would never do that, right? And it's a different thing when you're a free agent and you're out there and you're not tied to a current club where you have to show loyalty. If Barcelona comes knocking, like you listen, it's Barcelona. Correct. It's one of the top three clubs in world football history. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention with, for now, the best player in the world. Who's that? Oh, wait, hold on. I got his, I got his name here. I wrote it down. E- Lionel Andres Messi Cucciatini? That, that's him, I believe. I think. That, I went, that's what, I, I pulled that up on, on Google. Uh, he's known as Lionel Messi. Yeah. Sometimes Leo. That's it. That's it. So, the subsequent fallout of all of this could be bigger than anything we've ever seen in our lives when it comes to us following European football, Right. As people know, I'm a United fan. I love Cristiano for coming through our team, and I think Cristiano is a fantastic... I want to use generational talent, but it's hard to say that when there's someone who's better than him in his same generation, right? Again, Cristiano, I love you, but you're number two, man. Like, you just don't compare to this this guy. And they are different, completely different players. One is just a physical freak and specimen, and the other one is a mindful, tactical, spacing guy like the witch I from the likes of which we've never seen on a, a football pitch before. Mm-hmm. Um an absolute joy to watch. Um I've watched him eviscerate Manchester United several times in Champions League and it's one of those things where you can't even get mad. You just you just tip your hat and say you're the best player on the planet right now and you can argue with me but I would come close to saying the best player to ever exist. In football history. That's such a fair assessment and it's one that I think you can't argue with it but at the same time there are people who would argue with it because of there being such this huge titan one-on-one between the two players just mentioned mm-hmm. Cristiano Ronaldo and you know, Messi. They are easily two of the best that we will ever see in our entire lives. And the way that I describe the two is that Cristiano Ronaldo understands the game, and that's why he's so good. Mm -hmm. Lionel Messi understands the game differently, and that's why he's transcendent. Because you can't find another player that puts up the numbers he does in goals, assists, key passes, and consistently yeah. over the last thir- 
13, 14 seasons that he's been in their first team. And I was reading up a little bit on an, on his past. I'm sure there are others out there who are amazed that I don't know as much about his past as I could. But again, we see these generational talents where it could have never happened because he grew up poor in Rosario, Argentina, where Marcelo Bielsa is from mm-hmm. and talked about him and that's another subject, but he was playing for Newell's Old Boys, and it's the second time I brought up that club. It's an Argentinian club. It's a small one, but it's it's very legendary in that country. And he's a small guy. He's five six, yeah, I think. Tiny for sure. And maybe five five. And he needed growth hormone treatments when he was growing up, and. His club couldn't afford it, and his father's insurance only went to a certain extent. So he essentially needed to have a club help pay for it, and they flew overseas to Barcelona to have him play on trial, and there was this back and forth. They weren't sure if they wanted him, and then essentially his dad gave an ultimatum, and it's this you know, famous story that a Barcelona agent wrote up a quick contract on a napkin at a cafe down the road from their training ground and that's how they signed Lionel Messi and that was in 2000 that they got that quote-unquote contract signed and he sent in uh, what's called a bureau fax it's an official telegram that he sent to their board saying that he wants to leave and it's the first time that he has ever submitted a transfer request. And we're going to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty as to why it's kind of getting a little bit nitty gritty uh, in the details of how he may or may not potentially leave. So the way I've read it, and I, I've seen different dates, but essentially he had a clause in the contract at the end of this season whether it was May 31st or June 10th or June 27th, whatever it was, where, hey, I can let you guys know by that date that I'm leaving this club and I can leave for free. Obviously, we all know what's going on in the planet right now. COVID hit, so that day came and went, and the season played on. He played through, played in Champions League, did his normal thing, and now he's saying, now is the end of the season. I get to leave for free. And obviously Barcelona's looking at him saying absolutely not. Well, technically. (laughs) Technically, there's a, and I mean, a contract is a contract, right? So part of what I read yesterday, which I found was very interesting, is part of the way they wrote up the contract was so that UEFA or FIFA could not be involved at all of making a decision on what had to be paid, if anything had to be paid or not, that they wanted it to go to a Spanish court which I find is very interesting. I don't know if it's normal or not. Obviously, we're talking about a player who has a contract bigger than anyone on this planet. So at this point, Barca's sitting there saying, cool, we're going to court. His release clause is 700 million euros by that contract. And Barcelona's saying, cool, you can leave, but someone's going to have to pay us that. I think you and I both know if he leaves, no one's going to end up paying that amount of money. Not at all. I guess I'll, I'll ask you this, man. Opinion not even on clubs at all, 
but opinions, yes or no, with reason or not reason, will he be at Barcelona next year? Hmm. The, the movie lover in me says he won't, but the realist in me says that he will because mm-hmm. I feel as though he is just so symbiotic with that club now and how they even identify themselves to the world that he still doesn't really want to give up on them yet. Mm-hmm. I feel as though he wants fundamental changes to occur and that's almost like his ground level demands because he's seeing that he's wasting his prime years there with ineffective and you could say incompetent leadership in terms of transfer policy Mm -hmm. and the managerial approaches in combination with that. So I think that he's wanting to give them a wake up call and and not that you should have to remind them that you're the best player in the world, but yeah, you have to remind them so they don't take you for granted that, hey, I'm the best player in the world. I can't keep playing this way because even though I love you and you love me, I'm sure, objectively, I have one career and I want to have it illuminated with trophies and I need to pursue that because my talent will fade and it would be a crime to not have that be fostered and nurtured so that the club, whichever club he's at, can show how this game can be played because he shows that it can be played a completely different way. And if he's going to stay, Bartomeu needs to leave which, because he has way too big of an impact and effect. And Which you've read the same things, right? I, I think it was today. It was... If if he says if he says me leaving will keep him here, I'm out. Right? There, there's a lot to unpack here though, because they've invested in the squad. There's no doubt about that. They've invested in the squad. They haven't invested wisely in the squad, right? Because I mean, talk about we've mentioned it already, the absurd amounts that they've spent mm-hmm. on Dembele, on Continuo, on Griezmann, like De Young. Yeah. De Jong, I completely, you completely forget that dude's even in the, mm-hmm. the squad right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's this weird thing of we have an average starting lineup age of 30, but we've bought all these young players, but they're on the bench or they're at another club because they either weren't the right fits or whatever it is. And you and I remember watching these Barcelona teams of, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, where no one could touch him. Mm-hmm. No one could touch him at all. And obviously, you have players like Iniesta and Xavi playing behind Messi. It makes it a little bit easier. It does. Right? And prime PK. Yeah. And um, I think De Jong is, is going to be that level of a type of player. But He's definitely a Barca-level player. Yeah. they The way that they have spent money, and it's almost United-like, of getting these big names that have not... Added up, right? The Falcows, the Di Marias, the, they're countless. Like, you could just go on and on where it's like you're investing in the squad, but you're not picking the right guys. And that, that's the weird part about this all, right? Because if Messi could stand there and say, you're not spending money, you're not buying players, you're not investing in this squad, but he can't say that. 
because they are mm-hmm. and they have been constantly right mm-hmm. but they just haven't been the right guys they've just been empty disconnected investments that don't really integrate with the club and the squad now I understand that Barcelona is upset about the way Messi feels right now but sitting here reading that they're rejecting to meet with him in person unless it's about a contract extension is downright despicable yeah the the fact that they're automatically trying to narrow any sort of conversation that they can have with the man who on his shoulders has led them to modern greatness four champions league finals four the greatest player in your club's history possibly the greatest player ever to exist in the game of football and you're unwilling to sit down with the dude to talk to him about the situation right now he wants to go through the diplomacy of sitting down with you and talking you through why he wants to leave and you won't even honor that do do you think it's because they're scared that there's no chance at a contract extension so if he's coming in here to sit down it's to figure out whether it's 700 or 200 or 105 players like I want out of here no matter what this court decides I don't want to be here anymore I'll retire from soccer if this court tells me that I have to play at this club I don't know if the, it's if that is their motivation behind doing what they're doing but much like what we've talked about previously in the way this club is being managed and handled, it's not being handled correctly. Yeah, when you're only communicating through lawyers and that process, that's when you're already kind of picking up that things are starting to die. And it's due to how things have been built to begin with. And if you're still following the behaviors that led you to this, why wouldn't you at least want to be open-minded about taking a different approach and listening to the guy and then seeing if what you learn allows you to even take a different approach than what you've claimed you're going to do to keep him there. Maybe what you're claiming to do to keep him there isn't what he wants and maybe what he says allows you to come up with a different inspired idea on the spot. Well, what you're saying, yeah, that I, I, we'll get rid, like, we'll do this, this, mm-hmm. and in addition, we'll do this and this. Mm-hmm. Because we didn't know that we needed to do that. It, I don't know, and this is my, my own thing, but if I'm Barcelona at this point, this man is 33 years old. I'm bending over backwards to keep this man at my club for another two to three seasons. And instead, they're doing the opposite of telling his best friend at the club, Luis Suarez, and honestly, one of the only quality players that actually still shows up on a daily basis for them, you're gone as well. We don't want you here. I just don't get why they're doing the opposite actions that you think a club would do to want to keep Messi there. It's crazy to me. It's absolutely absurd to me. So now we'll play the game. If Messi does leave, where does he end up? I almost want to say something else just to be contrarian. <laughs> I think and, we all we all want but to. But 
It's hard to not say Manchester City. Yeah. They have the means to do it, and they have the manager that he has a history with in Pep Guardiola. Well, and I think they've shown that they're willing to break financial fair play rules to get the squad that they have currently. Well, they've and they're doing it for a while. willing to do it again to get a player like Messi, and they will do it again to get a player like Messi. And once again, the governing bodies will look the other way because, well, it's going to be this Marketing Darwin story right. of Messi and Pep back together, and now City's going to win a Champions League title, and look at this team and we all like of that. We like this story, yeah. Um, from what I've read, obviously, I think the only other suitor in this game, and like, obviously, United has the money to do it. They would never spend. It's PSG. And Neymar there intrigues me a little bit because I know they have a history. And from what I've read, PSG can offer him more money contractually and can also offer Barca more money for the transfer and stay within the confines of FFP that... It's going to be more financially lucrative for him to go to PSG, but from a sporting factor, is he going to choose City and Pep because he knows what he's getting into? And I get that PSG made it to the Champions League final this year, but they're not one of the two top rosters in the world. They're just not. I think that Messi is a very sentimental person, which is why he stayed at Barcelona this long, is because he feels this sense of loyalty to them because they literally gave him the chance to play when it was on a threat. He could have been isolated in Argentina, never getting the treatments he needed, and he would have just been, you know, a flower in a pot that never was able to, you know, actually spread and bloom or anything like that. And it is, uh, I feel as though his sentimentality will lead him to Manchester City Mm -hmm. because of Pep. And also just probably, I wouldn't blame him. Who wouldn't want to play with Kevin De Bruyne? Yeah. Can you imagine or, the goals and assists between those guys? Or their entire, break records. Who wouldn't want to play with that entire roster, right? Right. With Pep coaching them. Like, I get it. I mean, it sucks because it's the rival to the club that I love, but that is what it is right now. They're a better club, you know? And um, I guess here, here's my, my thing, man, is honestly, I don't think legally he's going to be able to get out of it. I just don't. I think there's going to be some technicalities at play that be that wind up more relevant than we thought they were. It's going to have to come down to Barca saying you owe us some absurd amount of money to get out of your contract, and whether his camp can come up with that or not. I think another thing I play here that a lot of people don't think about is City is sponsored currently by Puma, and if they were sponsored by Adidas, that would be a whole different thing. That was. My only thought as a United fan when all this went down of like some glimmer of hope is cool, we're an Adidas club, Adidas would want this guy here, that type of thing. Um, Obviously, PSG is Nike and Jordan. So Adidas isn't going to be able to hop into the middle of this and help facilitate this at all. They're just not, right? If it's these two clubs, right? Mm -hmm. There are some other Adidas clubs out there that I see get thrown out, and I I just, I don't see us or Juve coughing up money to, to make this whole thing happen again man i think he ends up at barcelona next year i agree i think that the combination of the technicalities of the contract and his sentimentality 
and their willingness to keep him mm-hmm. as well will lead to the changes that would allow him confidence in staying around. And yeah, I mean, it's still, it's pretty dynamic right now. I know that they're going to be meeting in early September, I believe. I think so. That's just going to give us more clarity, but I don't know. My gut tells me Barcelona is where he'll be next season again. Yeah, and even if he doesn't want to be there, I just think for legal reasons, he'll be forced to sit there for another season. Mm -hmm. And then if everything ends on time next year, he'll be able to get out of his contract just like it would have been this year, and he'll be free to go wherever. And hopefully he'll turn into an old man in between (laughs) here and now and then not go to City or whatever the deal is. But it is one of those things that as I've watched it unfold, I just never, ever in my wildest dreams expected to actually happen. And seeing that dude in a City shirt or a PSG shirt will be... Surreal. It'll be weird. Surreal, weird, odd. I I mean, I'm sure there's much better words for it, but I don't know. It's going to wind up being one of those CAPTCHA things in the future where it's, which one of these is incorrect? Yeah. It's like Messi in a PSG shirt. Yeah. You know, I, it's like, oh, not that one. Oh, you're definitely not a robot. Yeah, good job. So. Yeah. It's insane. It's going to be insane to see what happens with all of this. Um Obviously, we'll keep talking about it on a weekly basis as we keep going through this. You know, there's a quick turnaround. Everyone's going to start playing here in the next month. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what, where him and Barcelona are at with this when the season starts. Is it I'm playing? Is it I'm going to sit out? Is it I'm going to retire? Is it... I don't know. Right. I don't know. Now, I wouldn't mind being wrong because if I'm wrong, then it means that it's... A timeline that's pretty wild because it's going to be something that we haven't seen before yep. because he's been there for so long so I'm it's kind of fun to have an actual kind of soap opera drama oh, sure. playing out that and the entire world is tuning into legitimately mm-hmm. so regardless of what happens at least it's making the summer go by that much more quickly and yeah. we're getting into Premier League in two weeks Two weeks, September 12th, my birthday. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Yeah, it's going to be back really, really quickly. Um, Community Shield this weekend. And uh, obviously, I mean, not that that means anything, but at least it signifies the start of the season. And uh, we're going to be back quick. Yes, sir. So, after what was the most irregular season that I've ever seen, the 2020. To 2021 season is starting soon. It is, and we also have an extended transfer window. And it's is it October 31st? Is that when it goes? Is it, or is it the Halloween? Middle? That would is be. It the I think it's it's in the middle of October. That's I think a, because I think that there's a whole at least a whole month of matches before it closes. So. I, October 5th, not to interrupt you, okay, but October no, it's 5th. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of gone back and forth in the past few years. Last year, the transfer window ended before the season started. The year before that, it ended after the season yeah, like started, and then they changed it. And now, I think it just happened to be this way this year, but I think that they're changing it back again so that the transfer window does overlap 
with the season because other European leagues do have that, and then they were having the advantage of being able to buy English players yep. or Premier League players, and Premier League clubs Could, weren't able to replace yep. those guys, and so it's just kind of a weird yeah, which continental made, strategy thing. Made absolutely no sense at all. So, yeah, we're um, hoping to have a, a an uninterrupted and healthy season this year, and we're just going to kind of go through a quick little round of transfer window updates, basically, for our two clubs. Uh, so Tottenham Hotspur surprisingly have been busy this transfer window, actually bringing in players uh, at, a, at a rate that I haven't seen in the last few windows. And so we were able to finalize the contract signing of Pierre-Emile Voibier mm-hmm. from Southampton. And we got... Hobbs in the background keeping <laughs> us company. Uh, Hobbs, what do you have to say for yourself, buddy? Uh, Let me go outside. That's what he wants. Okay. Hobbs is my cat, by the way, for those who uh, who don't know. But uh, we uh, we had previously talked about the Herberg or Hoiberg signing, and uh, I think what he meant for your club and how he's going to, you know, obviously fit right in, and he's definitely a Jose type signing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. You guys are you're getting business done early. Yeah, we uh, so we got him over the line. Really excited to see how he kind of develops. And we randomly got Joe Hart on a free that just kind of developed out of nowhere, and then within two days it was done. And all signs point to getting Matt Doherty from Wolves. He signed his contract. A fee has been agreed with Wolves as of today, the 28th, and he will be having his medical at Hotspur Way tomorrow. So is he obviously plays right back? So is right. it is it understood within your your guys's fans that he's in and Surge is out? Or so yeah, because I've seen a lot of Surge to Milan rumors. So those are still alive. Uh, Serge Aurier is either going to wind up at Milan, Bayer Leverkusen, or Monaco. Those are the three main clubs where we've had contact and interest. And so, um, Doherty, he will be our right back, but for Wolves, he's been more of a right wing back. Wing back, for because sure. Because they, they have that 3-5-2. Yeah. And he, here's, here's one for you. He has had the most touches in the opposition's box than any other fullback in the league the last season. It's interesting. And he is kind of uh, oftentimes the furthest forward player for Wolves. He makes these very situational darting runs in between the center back and the fullback. And he's really good at interplay with a striker as well. These little one-twos where, yeah, he'll make that run, but he's not necessarily going to go for the finish. He'll still lay it off again for his striker to then convert. And so I'm really excited for it. He, again, seems to be another Mourinho buy where he has that mentality and he does a job, he does it well, and he's also coachable. So and you see him as a right back for you guys or a right wing? So we, under... Jose, at least, have been having this asymmetrical formation where 
we technically do have a back four, but oftentimes Ben Davis, our left back, drops back into a back three mm-hmm. with the other two center backs almost as a left center back. Yep. And Serge Aurier is pushed up wide right. Gotcha. Almost as a winger. And it takes away his defensive responsibilities and allows him more license to move forward as an offensive threat. And so he gets a lot of volume, and he has the past two seasons in terms of his crossing, but it really hasn't led to that much of an end result. And so what we're doing now is basically putting Doherty in there, Mm -hmm. doing a lot of the same things, but with more of an end result as well. And at a really good price as well. Where I think the fee is fifteen million yeah, pounds. Yeah, so fifteen. And I, I'm really excited for just these really sensible signings that we've been making, and the That's fact that we're getting them during the preseason, so that they can actually get training before the season starts, is such a breath of fresh air. It's funny. That's funny. It seems like yeah. it'd be common sense, but and even looking at his stats, man, four goals, three assists this year, four goals, five assists last year. That's super solid for, for, right for a fullback. Yeah, for sure. Anyone in the Premier League, and he's proven as well. That's another thing is that he was with Wolves for the last 10 seasons, and that's through two promotions as well. And here's another thing that unrelated to you know play on the field that's just a, that is an absolute positive to this is that Wolves got him from Bohemians in the League of Ireland, mm-hmm. their league up there. And they, as a club, because they brought him up, were able to keep a sell-on clause mm-hmm. in his future contracts where they get 10% of his his transfer fee. Mm-hmm. And with this being a 15 million pound transfer fee, and they get like 1.5 million, they're annual budget is like 180,000. I saw something about this yesterday and when so I was reading it. Yeah, they this said is, it's like completely changes the outlook of Absolutely. The club. And yeah. so this is another under the radar thing about soccer that is so positive is that these guys that have these really humble beginnings so long as they continue their upward trajectory, sometimes they can really wind up helping out their first club with their transfer fees and then that organically keeps that club healthy and competitive in the league and then the league itself benefits from the competitive quality that derives from it. One, I I think, you know, hats off to Wolves too, but you see it all the time. I've seen it over my whole life with United with tons of players where they include these sell-on fees because to a club like Wolves or United, you know, what is 1.5 mil going to do, right? Like that's nothing to them. But again, it changes the complete outlook. And this is why soccer continues to live on, right? And this is why you can go four, five, six leagues down in some countries and still have clubs surviving. It's because of things like this. And, uh, you know, you could sit here and say, well, Wolves isn't this major club or whatever. But think about it. Just them doing this deal and then getting him to Tottenham is now changing like, the entire outlook of this Correct. club. It's awesome to see, man. Yeah. It's, it's great. And, you know, fair play to Wolves. They are a great club, and they've been a real pain to the top oh. six the last I two seasons. I can't even tell you how many times they've beaten us. We've dropped... I, they've, they're, every top six club has dropped points to oh, them. Oh, God, yeah. Like, we... I, I, 
I think maybe we've beaten them once the past three seasons. And we either tie or lose to them. And they're so good time. because they do it with their own style as well. And they're unapologetic. They do the back three. They do wing backs. And they don't relent. And they don't compromise. And it's, it's refreshing to see different tactics you know, being successful and keeping the league honest and, and keeping it so dynamic and the best league in the world. I'll say it. And, you know, the the one main thing is, you know, we mentioned, you know, Matt Doherty from Wolves and Wolves itself. And, you know, the reason that this is such a good deal, most likely, is because of his agent, Jorge Mendez, who, for people who aren't as familiar with the European, you know, soccer landscape, there are these certain, what are called super agents. Super agents, for and sure. And these are guys that have, you know, full-on stables of elite talent. And, you know, they have some lower-level guys as well. Jorge Mendez is known for getting himself intertwined with respectable clubs in Europe. And he just has this own formula that only he knows where... The clubs that he associates with will get really good deals on players, but then they also have to take on players that otherwise they maybe wouldn't want because at the same time, down the road, he's still going to be your pipeline for other talent that you'll get at a really good value. At the same time, you're going to lose that talent later on at a price that you really would like to get more than that, but it's this going back to like a, a symbiotic relationship where he gets you talent, but at the same time, you're also dependent upon him. And it's just kind of weird because you'll, you'll see other examples as well. And y- your club has been kind of prone to that as well. Yeah. And uh, I think one thing about Mendez that I've always liked is uh, he keeps it respectful all mm-hmm. the time. Um, unlike another super agent that's out there, Mino Raiola, um, who represents tons of big dudes. But uh, Jorge Mendez was the guy who brought Cristiano from United to Real, but he also brought Cristiano from Sporting to United, right? Mm-hmm. And we knew what we were getting. We had played Sporting the year before, and we saw the flash of this kid at 18 years old, you know, Obviously, Mendez has a huge influence when it comes to Portuguese players. Correct. And uh, I actually saw something the other day that I meant to send you where it was was a meme of something along the lines of like, Portuguese player shows any sort of talent, wolves are on him. (laughs) (laughs) They do have a little mini Portuguese Yeah, but it's because of him. You know what I mean? And he knows that, hey, I have these players that maybe can't hack it out of United or Spurs, but they can go to a a club like Wolves and get exposure and play in a competitive squad that can do things. And um, I just, again, I guess going back to my original thing, I've just always respected Mendez because he does it right. And he makes buku bucks. He makes big money. But it seems like he always has the player's general interest at heart rather than just trying to get the most financially I could possibly get for you, regardless of whether this is the best footballing situation for you he does seem to be diplomatic and he really doesn't want to take the spotlight i think he's a realist in that he knows kind of the the cold calculated underbelly of what the sport is about and that it relies upon talented individuals to you know bring this sport to life on the field and so 
he knows how to get involved with the right talents and he knows how to funnel them to clubs that will give them a legitimate chance to show that talent while also knowing that they have to honor the fact that they're only getting this talent because this guy is also representing them, but he's also not extortionate. Um, there are like some deals where they get a little bit questionable. So we're getting Daugherty at a really good price, but we also took on Jetson Fernandez mm-hmm. uh, from Benfica mm-hmm. going into this past season. And so I think the loan fee was something like 5 million euro, but we have an option to buy and that option to buy is like 50 million euro or something like that, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. He's a good kid and you can tell he's a talented player, but he's not a 50 million euro player at all. And so that is kind of one of the outlier kind of things that sometimes get attached to some of his players and their contracts. I'm just hoping for Spurs' sake that we don't ever have to pay that much for him because he's a good kid, but I don't see him with us for a long time, and he's not worth that money. So, it's yeah, it's it's just it's it's one of the cons, but even that con is a lesser con than the ones that like Mino Raiola bring. But it's it, it it's almost like he was that key for Mourinho to unlock the Mendez influence at Tottenham now, right. right? Like, yep, I'll take the guy on. We'll, we'll take on possibly this large fee in mm-hmm. the end. But you need to know that I'm going to start going to you for players, right? And, you know, between Mendez, who's also Mourinho's agent, um, and Mourinho, like their ties within Portugal run deep, right. right? Like there's no one getting out of that country without one of the two of them being right. involved in it. So. And so, it, and it makes sense that Jorge Mendez is involved at Wolves because Nuno Espirito Santo, their manager, was Jorge Mendez's first client. And so it's... That I did not know. Yeah, nice. his very first client. He helped him, uh, I think I read it today, that... Nuno, Nuno Espirito Santo was a goalkeeper in his playing days, and Jorge Mendes helped him get his transfer from uh, Vitoria Guimarães uh, to uh, in Portugal to uh, Deportivo La Coruña in Spain, and so again, like these fragile threads of how one guy, you know, he got into the game and now he's still in it, mm-hmm. and he you could say is a necessary evil if you want to even call it that of this sport because he has so many veins of talent that run through Europe. Yeah. And even I I just pulled up his wiki as we were talking and it's just looking at the year by year deals that this dude did and the names, it's just insane. Like 2014, James Rodriguez from Monaco to Real, 63 mil. Oh, my God. Di Maria de, from Real Madrid to United, 60 mil. Diego Costa from Atletico to Chelsea, 32 mil. Mangala from Porto to City, 32 mil. And that's just 2014. For us, brought Cristiano, Nani, and Anderson all in the same year to United. And it's just, it's stuff like this. The guy, I mean, the guy just makes it happen, man. It's, it's, Sometimes I think in the long run it winds up being a zero-sum game, Mm -hmm. but there are obvious positives to the times where, 
you know, you're, you're in the good days with him. So long as you're using the talent that he gives you mm -hmm. and you employ it and you execute, he always gives you the opportunity to have really good talent, but it's always going to be up to you to use it, you yep. know? So, yeah. So that's just kind of how, you know, Spurs have been wrapping up their transfer business recently and just kind of how it ties into the bigger uh, structure of, of Europe and, you know, sports agency and hope that our listeners kind of got a little bit of an insight into that. So now that we're uh, done with Spurs, um, you want to go into uh, Manchester United a little bit? Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk uh, United transfers. All right, lead us off, please. Let's, uh, let's do this. And yeah, that was it. That was uh, that was me and us covering the United transfer window so far. Thank so you. thank you very much for that update. And uh, I would say that you know, based off everything that you said, you know, you guys can really move forward and uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I, I at this point we're gonna keep doing what we're doing because uh, there's no alternative. I get that uh, we have another month in this. Let let's just say not to to go into a big thing. I'm just not happy with the way stuff has gone so far, and I think most United fans feel that way, um, especially with one of our main rivals in another top four club investing the way that they have so far, and that's uh, Chelsea, uh, a oh club that both Andrew and I. Uh, are not fans of, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, Andrew more than me, with uh, his club being a London-based one. But hats off to him, man. I just, aside from City possibly getting messy, I don't see a team topping their window right now. And the Thiago Silva thing came out of absolutely nowhere. That got finalized today. I get that Kai Havertz still isn't over the line, but at this point, I even, think they're... Even if they don't yeah, get there Havertz, you go. they're going to be fine. Yeah, I don't know what separates clubs from doing what a Chelsea is doing this summer and doing what a United is doing this summer. I don't get it. Like, everyone went through the same pandemic. Everyone went through the same revenue loss. Like, we finished a place higher than them in the league, meaning we got a little bit bigger cut than they got from the TV revenue. And adding players like Timo Werner, Ziyech, Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell, which I think they overpaid for him. But I agree. It's it's how sad everyone gets over, I guess, bloated or whatever you want to say on their fees. It's even sadder how English players do. I saw something the other day, and it was Declan Rice of West Ham. Mm -hmm. Solid center defensive mid, young English player. He's, he's going to be a great number six for England. Yep. Linked to some other club in the Premier League at 80 million pounds. And I'm just sitting there saying to myself... This is a great young player with a lot of promise and a lot of talent that I would maybe, maybe pay half of that, yeah. right? Uh, the fees nowadays, and we've went on about how Neymar changed the game and everything like that. Again, I think Chelsea overpaid a little bit for Chilwell, but I think they, they feel like they know exactly what they're getting. Adding Thiago Silva in the defense is not going to hurt at all. I get, I get that he's older, but, uh, you know, it's going to push Rudiger and... Uh, Christensen? Christensen, yeah. And Zuma? Yeah, and Zuma kind of hasn't lived up to the hype either, but I, I've always liked him as a player. But yeah, Chelsea's at least showing City and Liverpool like we want to be on your same level. They're saying you guys are head and shoulders above the rest of this league. We finished fourth. We're third for most of the league, 90% of it until the very end. Thank goodness we pulled through. But 
I mean, Chelsea are trying to make a statement with their signings this summer. And they have. They've made a statement. They're not trying to make one. They have. I saw today that United is one of two EPL clubs that hasn't bought a player so far this window. So Hey, that reminds me of Spurs after the... God. We got Lucas in the January transfer window of 2017. And then we didn't get anyone then until the lead-up to this season, uh, summer of 2019. We won a year and a half without getting anyone, and we won a full transfer window without getting anyone. I think you guys are going to... Yeah, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I'll say to your point, you got a new stadium out of it. Though. Yeah, it's and, true. We and, were inverting our priorities by focusing on physical infrastructure of the club rather than player assets. So and Old Trafford is a great stadium, but it could use some upgrades. So if they want to put their money towards that, then I'm fine. To your last point, though, we have until October fifth. We are going to push some names over the line. I don't know if it's going to be marquee signings like a Jaden Sancho. Um, you know, hopefully they spend their money well. I could see it being more more bargain type buys, like what we've been um, doing, like what you guys have been doing. And uh, I could throw out a list of names, but there's hundreds of players that are linked to United every single summer. There's no point. I go mad with reading them every morning, like it actually means something, but uh, it doesn't. I've talked about this before, but you, me and your older brother Matt always joke that until I see United actually post a picture of this dude holding the shirt. There's no point in reading about it because we're right. just one of those clubs that are used as bait to push other clubs into signing guys. And as flattering as it is, it's also annoying as a fan, you know? It absolutely is. Um, yeah, that's kind of really the extent of the the transfer news. I'm just going to bring up a transfer of a guy that I've brought up to you a handful of times over the, the last you know few years. Um, they're was a transfer that just finalized today. Uh, QPR uh, was able to send Eberechi Etze to Crystal Palace. And he's a young center attacking mid, sometimes plays, you know, off the left a little bit, kind of as a, as a 10. He's a really exciting talent. And He's really been lighting up the championship the last few seasons for QPR. He went for around 17 million pounds. Yeah, 17. Yep. And I wanted Spurs to get him, you know, a season or so ago, just as a young English prospect that would really, you know, flourish in our style of play because he is so creative and inspired and creative. It is, is he creative? Yeah, he's very creative. <laughs> <laughs> um, he'll. Uh, I do find it weird that there weren't, there wasn't more competition for his signature, and so I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering if there's anything behind that as to why maybe other clubs weren't willing to snatch him up, just see what could happen from it. So, what's funny is you bring that up because I think he was brought into this club to replace another player who we've all felt the same about of understanding why there haven't been more suitors from him, or for him, I'm sorry, because of how athletic he is and how good he is with the ball on his feet. And I, I get that he could be much better in his finishing, but uh, that's Wilfred Zaha, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe this signing is the first step into him finally going to another club. And I've heard he's had suitors, but... You hear he has suitors every single summer and then nothing. And then he signs a new contract <laughs> yeah. on higher wages that yep. makes it more prohibitive for there to 
be a transfer fee that can be agreed and, upon. And honestly, like I've always been a fan of the guy. I wish United would have kept him and gave him a chance. Um, you know, there's rumors about what happened there, and I won't go into any of that because I don't think anything can be it's not worthwhile proven. But uh, he turned out to, I think, be the player that United thought he was going to be. Maybe those numbers would be different playing in a bigger, you know, more quality squad like United or something like that. But uh, it's going to be interesting. And uh, it's just funny to me that you brought up the suitors thing when he's possibly brought in to finally replace Zaha if he leaves. It's just it, that whole thing. It, it's just funny. Yeah, because that would be really beneficial for their club. I mean, Etze has a different playing profile in terms of he's not nearly as quick mm-hmm. as Zaha, but he is so nuanced in between the lines and has such good close ball control and has an eye for a pass and knows how to score. I think that even though they would be employing him in a different position, that the difference in his transfer fee and what they would get for Zaha is going to be beneficial for their club in terms of them being able to use that then and investing in other positions of need that will fully establish them as a mid-table Premier League club because there's nothing wrong with that. It's the most competitive league in the world and if you can make these crucial, pivotal transfers reinvest wisely and keep yourself in the best league in the world with the most TV revenue, then that's that's winning in the modern age. Definitely. No doubt about it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there can only be so many clubs that finish in the top six. And we understand who those clubs are. And, yeah, occasionally you'll see a club slide in like a Leicester or a Bournemouth or something like that. But, I mean, for the most part, we know those are pretty much locked down. But there's something to be said for, you know, 8 through 15, basically. And the money and the revenue that's involved with remaining in those spots. You so. look at revenue tables for all of Europe and even clubs that are finishing 10 through 15 are occupying some of the top 30 clubs in Europe in terms of revenue. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you have clubs that are finishing 15th in England are making more than the clubs that finish third in Italy. There's money involved there and there's a reason why it's probably the most watched league in the world and mm-hmm. definitely the most competitive from top to bottom. There's no doubt about that. It's it's crazy to think about just everything like flowing between clubs and I love the transfer window more. It does have a, again going back to like these soap opera types of storylines like will they, won't they? And when you can find the right journalists to follow and they kind of like give you these first hints that something might be happening and you're going through like Oh, I can only imagine this player at this club. And we've we've learned a lot about how important journalism is in these last few years and how accuracy is something that is chosen and it comes from a personal pride type of thing. And in soccer and football journalism, it's hard to think of someone more respected and more trusted than Fabrizio Romano, who is just an absolute G when it comes to the transfer game. For me, by far, the best in the world. The most reliable source in the world. This is a guy who's not posting or doing videos or doing whatever means you can think of today for likes 
and clicks. Um, this is a guy who has connections, has obvious connections, and only talks about the truth, and that's it. You love it or hate it, and I uh, I love to see him respond to people sometimes where, you know, they'll complain that, hey, like, you've said this now for three weeks and people don't understand, like, hey, sometimes transfer deals take a long time. I know everyone thinks that, hey, I've played career mode on FIFA and I've been able to sign world-class players in a day. Why doesn't <laughs> this work? And uh, that's not that's not how it is. And uh, a great example of that is uh, the Jaden Sancho stuff that he talked about in the beginning. And he just kept trying to remind people that if this deal goes through, it's not the type of deal that happens in two days. There's so much money involved and players' rights and agent rights and all of this stuff that no one thinks about because they just think it's, Oh, cool! United plays or pays Dortmund this fee, and then it's done. And that's not the case, especially on a transfer of the level of a player like that. And uh, I just props to the guy for staying true to to who he is and what he stands for. And uh, I love seeing him. He's getting access or getting stuff on CBS All Access now. He's getting all of these features and everything. And it's like this is exactly what the man deserves. I wish. And maybe there are going to be more out there like him. But I think it's he's getting to a point where clubs trust him enough to have him be the guy. Again, I just I don't think there's anyone better in the world when it comes to uh, comes to navigating this thing of headlines and rumors and, and it's absurdities. Just, and it's just so exciting when he's talking about a transfer that your club is involved in. <laughs> and he gives you those him. magic three words. Here we go. Here we go. As soon as you see it, man, um, it puts a smile on your face. You feel like a kid at Christmas, and you finally know it's only a matter of time before I see this guy hold up my club shirt. He His word is gospel. Like, I follow the gospel of Fabrizio Romano. <laughs> and, you know, I think, uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of just what we wanted to talk about today is uh, just... Kind of the last few weeks of, you know, some domestic stuff, some European stuff, some personal club-based stuff, Mm -hmm. kind of some other uh, subjects that tie into the sport, like the old, like, agency and uh, the transfer rumor uh, market and all that type of stuff. Well, yeah, and it's just, um, it's something that I kind of think if people were more informed at the actual process and the situation and the guys behind the scenes... They'd actually understand that it's again, it's not as easy as FIFA career mode and just saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to buy this player because my club has the money." So I don't know, man. I'll just say, uh, as always, dude, it was uh, great sitting down with you and chatting, and uh, I'm excited. We're oh, what twelve, fourteen, two weeks away from the new EPL season starting. Europe, other European leagues will start soon after that, and. Uh, We'll have plenty more to, to talk about. So Yeah, we'll be getting into season two here soon. Very, very nice, my friend. Um, and uh, as always, to the listeners out there, thank you for the support. We're going to keep giving you as much content as we can, and uh, we love this as much as you guys, and uh, that's all i got to say, man. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we really won't be offended if you choose to turn up the play speed on this to like 1.2 <laughs> or 1.5. So just keep that in mind. Uh uh, we won't hold that against you because uh, we have a lot to talk about and we like it. But um, yeah, until next time, 
leave us uh, comments, leave us questions on our social media. You can find us at The Porchman Dialogues on Facebook uh, and on Instagram for that matter. And you can find us on Twitter at Porchman Talk. So uh, please interact with us there and follow us and we will just talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Have a great evening. Peace, guys.